Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are going to address and discuss some feedback we got from a listener with our Supergirl Radio legal consultants, Leslie and Susan, about the question of whether or not Kara Zor-El would be considered a refugee. So welcome to Supergirl Radio, ladies. It's, it's great to have you on. Thank great you. to Thank be you here. Thank you for having me. Well, and since uh, this is your, your first time on the podcast, Podcast, but you all have been longtime listeners and very good about sending in feedback with your thoughts and your your legal opinions, which has been very <laughs> helpful for us because uh, uh, it's always good to learn about things that we don't understand. Um, so since uh, since you're a first time guest and when, when we have first time guests, we like to ask them about their experience with Supergirl and how you all met met the character of Supergirl. When did you first encounter her? So um, I guess I'll throw it over to Leslie. How, how did you first encounter the character of Supergirl? Well, I came to enjoy Supergirl from Supergirl, the movie in 1984 and then the TV series. Um, in fact, I only watched two broadcast uh, TV shows, which is Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow. Um, growing up, I was a big fan of science fiction and sci-fi TV shows, especially Star Trek, the original series, and everything else uh, Star Trek. And as a kid, I went to a lot of uh, Star Trek uh, conventions. My favorite superhero was always Superman, first play, played by George Reeves, and then Christopher Reeves. I saw all of those movies. And then I also enjoyed watching female hero shows like Emma Peel's of the Emma Peel of the British TV show The Avengers, not the Marvel comic characters. Wonder Woman, The Bionic Woman, La Femme Nikita, Legend of Kamar, uh, Legend of Korra, and Laura Croft movies. When the uh, Supergirl movie came out in 1984, I was in my last year of law school, and I couldn't wait to see it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think it's pretty neat that. Helen Slater plays Carr's uh, adoptive mother in the CW Supergirl uh, TV series, and she also played Kal-El's mother in Smallville. I got interested in Supergirl, the TV series, in 2015 when I saw the trailers for it while watching per- Person of Interest. And at first, I didn't know whether I should watch it because just like Kara, I initially thought that she should be called Superwoman, not Supergirl. <laughs> But I know that Superwoman, I now know this, that Superwoman is an entirely different comic book character. She is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I learned that from uh, the podcast. And I like how uh, the Supergirl pilot addressed that issue very quickly and quite well. And then again, once I saw Supergirl's heat vision at the end of the pilot, I was hooked on Supergirl and Kara as my favorite characters in the show as a whole. But after the first season, I actually lost track of the show for 14 months 
I wasn't on any social media, so I didn't know that the show had been renewed and had migrated to the CW. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> I know. Um, I didn't see the second season until it was over and uploaded uh, to uh, Netflix. So I decided to rewatch the first season, and then I fell in love with the show all over again. Except this time, I noticed the great sisterly dynamic between Kara and Alex. And since I'm an only child and I've always wanted a sister, that relationship really resonated with me. And then I really started to like Alex. I saw her as a superhero, too, just without powers. And I loved it in season one's Livewire episode when Eliza tells Alex that she has always been her Supergirl. I also love seeing Supergirl lift Fort Ross in season one's finale. That's my favorite finale thus far. After the heartfelt goodbye between the sisters with the heroic music playing, ending in this fantastic crescendo with the chorus singing as Supergirl lifts the fort through the clouds into space. And as I said, it's my favorite finale thus far. I'm also a fan of soundtracks. As you know, Rebecca, you and I talked about uh, Man of Steel soundtrack. Which is the, I want to say it's the best, but it's one of the best. (laughs) Well, I actually liked the soundtrack before I liked the movie. That's fair. So uh, to me, uh, the, uh, back to season one finale, uh, seeing Cara lift Fort Ross to me is one of the best action and musical sequences of the show. And I was awestruck. And uh, Supergirl used a chorus in that uh, particular sequence. And I noticed that. And that's when the chorus sings on Supergirl, that's something really special. I noticed in the fourth season that they had some choruses for Red Daughter. Mm. So you can imagine with me being a fan of the sisterly dynamic that I wasn't too happy with the mind wipe in season four. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. I did One enjoy- of us. <laughs> yes. I'm going to defend that conceptually, if not in the way they executed it. No, okay. That's fair. I did I did enjoy Red Dawn, but I didn't particularly enjoy the fact that that mind wipe lasted 11 episodes. Uh, but in any event, since uh, 2017, I've taken a deep dive into Supergirl. And when I searched for a Supergirl podcast, uh, Supergirl Radio was the first one that, that popped up. And I binge listened to uh, your podcasts and uh, you've enhanced my enjoyment of the show. Uh, it's a lot of uh, great fun. And based on your recommendations, I've actually started reading Supergirl comics. And I just finished the DC Universe Rebirth Volume 1, Reign of the Cyborg uh, Superman. Awesome. I also uh, watch Krypton, the TV series as well. Um, so that's it. That's why I love Supergirl. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome that you have such a long history with the character. And, and you've sort of followed her through um, from Supergirl, the movie, to now. And, and your history with Superman. I think that's really great. And um, I, I'm glad that you're getting into the comics. You're eventually going to hit director Bones at some point, and it's going to change your life. <laughs> I think, is it in Cyborg? I, I think uh, Cameron Chase mentions him. I forget which issue he shows up in, but uh, there, uh, Morgan, I'm, I'm very excited to get back into Rebirth for the po- podcast because there's some excellent director Bones. You're going to be very excited about it. Yes, I'm, I'm always here for the director Bones content. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a question yeah. about, have you read Cyborg uh, Superman? Is that is that the Supergirl Rebirth issues at the very beginning? Yes. Yeah, actually, we, yes, ha- we have. We, <laughs> yeah, we have uh, We have a whole set of episodes. So we're, we've kind of been falling behind. We're catching up this summer. <laughs> uh, we have a whole bunch of episodes uh, 
uh, we call Supergirl Radio Rebirth. So if you go through our if you go through our feed, we actually do short little uh, episodes on each issue. Um, so there's there's some good stuff in there. So if you want to kind of go with us, uh, we're behind now, so you'll probably be ahead of us by the time we get caught up. But but we do have some supplemental episodes in there. Be and we decided to cover it for the podcast because Jeremiah and Eliza are in there, and Catco and Cat are in there. So we we and thought that Cameron, uh, Cameron Chase. Cameron Chase. So um, so since that was connected to the show, we we thought we would cover that, and it has enhanced our enjoyment of the show. I think as well. Although I think now we are really needy for Director Bones to be on the show. Uh, so that is the fault of the rebirth issues. I just had one question. Yeah. Does Eliza Danvers only have one hand? That uh, <laughs> that is uh, something that comes up quite a bit in this. You, you really need to listen to this. Super. This is, this is one of our most pressing questions about Rupert. <laughs> you like in one sentence, you got to like the heart of our our most pressing question. <laughs> that that is uh, something that we didn't. I don't think we discovered it till about issue four. <laughs> it took us a while. It took us a while, and then we were like, and I think. No, I think I brought it up and then Carly and I went back through each episode on the podcast and we were like, I don't know if it's in uh, issue one. I don't think it's an episode, you know, issue two. So, yeah, we we had to go through there and uh, figure out uh, what was going on there. And the uh, just to let you know why she doesn't have a hand is because Steve Orlando, the writer, wanted to put uh, some uh, character in there uh, to pay homage to a friend of his who uh, had a disability. So that's why that's there, even though it's never explained, ever. Well, that is, oddly enough, a great segue to uh, my connection to the character. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's, let's hear that. I am essentially here to represent uh, uh, viewers of the show who are uh, not uh, as invested or connected to the character. I have a, uh, a good friend who is a huge DC uh, comics person uh, generally and a Superman fan in particular who was uh, particularly enamored of the uh, Helen Slater film, which I watched several times. And uh, really out of respect for him, when the show came on, I thought, well, I should probably watch it. And I generally like TV shows with strong female characters. So this seems like something I might like anyway. And uh, uh, the first season in particular, uh, we have uh, obviously a female superhero, but we also have uh, the female human who is a hero. And uh, uh, the character I miss most, Cat Grant, uh, was mm-hmm. also a woman who was, uh, you know, the business lead and the consigliere. And I love the fact that the show had three strong women coming from different perspectives. And so my connection to the character kind of starts and ends with the TV show. Uh, I am intrigued and may, may uh, uh, explore it further when the TV show is over but I generally have the point of view of I'm not good at uh, multiple medium with the same character. If I love a book, I don't generally see the movie. And if there's a film I, I want to see, I don't generally go back and read the book. So uh, I'm learning all about the rest of the universe from you guys. Uh, and uh, um, otherwise just enjoying the show and the character and watching it evolve. 
I think it gives me a little bit of freedom because I don't have a frame of reference to compare it to. Uh, and therefore, I don't have expectations of particular characters or not or wonder where things come from. Uh, and I think it lets me enjoy the show in a way that uh, uh, folks who are really steeped in the uh, mythology and the history and the other works maybe don't have the freedom to do because there's another frame of reference. Uh, so that's where I'm coming from. It continues to be one of the you know few shows on television with consistently strong female leaders, both as heroes and villains. And that is the great attractiveness to me, along with the uh, different relationships, which tend to be positive and not um, uh, um, uh, rivals. Sorry, I was thinking of using a, uh, a word that probably isn't family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a that's a great point. And uh, your your perspective uh, on the show, just basing it on the show, I think is is a really fascinating one, because I, I think I have a little bit of a problem with the show sometimes because there's things like, oh, Snapper shows up on the sh show and he never snaps once. And that is a little frustrating because I know about Snapper Carr's comic book history and I know that his whole deal is that he snaps his <laughs> fingers. Um, so so I think there is a lot more freedom that you might enjoy versus what frustrates me. So, uh, so there are pros and cons to both of those uh, perspectives. So I'm glad that the show has brought you to the character and has uh, has given you a love for the character and, and the character surrounding her. I think that's really great um, because it's, it's bringing more Supergirl fans into the fold. Well, uh, thank you, ladies, for sharing your uh, your encounters with the character. So we kind of uh, know more about your experience with the show. And, uh, and I, I know you all said that Supergirl Radio has enhanced your viewing. But uh, I appreciate the feedback that we get from listeners like you because I think that enhances our enjoyment of the show as well. So always, always appreciate that. And so we need to get into talking about some topical things. <laughs> but before we get into the legality of Kara's refugee status, we need to get to the news. Warner Brothers Television Group joins in the celebration of Comic-Con as it turns 50 this year, rolling out the red carpet in grand style for this historic milestone as stars and producers from 16 of the studio's fan-favorite series are scheduled to participate in Comic-Con International San Diego from July 17th through the 21st. The 2019 edition of the world's largest comic and pop culture festival will feature the final SDCC appearances of long-running hit WBTV series Arrow and Supernatural, as well as the world premiere screenings of highly anticipated DC TV series Batwoman and Pennyworth, plus the revival of Veronica Mars. So uh, there's a lot going on uh, in terms of WB and the DC TV world at Comic-Con this year. And if you specifically want to know about Supergirl, the Supergirl special video presentation and Q&A will be happening on Saturday, July 20th in Ballroom 20. So we'll be keeping our eye out for the panel and all the news that we get out of Comic-Con because this is 
usually the time of year when they sort of tease out what the season is going to look like and maybe who the villains are and maybe some new characters. So that's going to be really helpful for any character spotlights we might do later. <laughs> so I would appreciate it if they would let us know so we could prepare for that. Uh, but yeah, so there is a lot going on at, uh, at Comic-Con this year. I'm excited. I'm sad I'm not going to be at Comic-Con this year for like the first time in many years. And I'm a little upset that you're not going to be there because who's going to ask Katie McGrath the boardroom or ballroom questions. I know. I was uh, m- my goal would have been for this year to finally to finally really sit down and ask does James live under the desk? Like that was <laughs> going to be my question for this year. And now yeah. it's going to continue to go unanswered, so I'm going to continue to assume that the answer is yes. <laughs> um oh, uh but speaking of Supergirl radio and the wonderful things that we bring up we're trying to get <laughs> if you think that's great content uh, we're, <laughs> we're trying to get Supergirl Radio nominated for a podcast award and you can help okay here's how you go to podcastawards.com and click on the blue box that says nominations are now open uh, sign up and create an account it actually is very fast I did it today um I spoiler alert, I voted for Supergirl Radio. I, well, um, I was about to ask. <laughs> I hope you did. Um, select Supergirl Radio in the TV and film and People's Choice drop down menus and then hit save nominations. And that's it. So you have until July 31st to show us a little bit of love. I mean, if you also question where James spends his time and you're like, I'm so glad that they brought that up. Maybe go ahead and nominate and us. Franklin. Maybe everyone lives at the office. Maybe it's just <laughs> an office slash home. <laughs> Frank, Franklin is the one confirmed. We do have confirmation yes. with, with That's Franklin. That's true. Um, yeah, so we are trying to become uh, the award-winning Supergirl Radio. We just decided, hey, let's try it and see how it goes. Uh, so if you if you do have a few minutes, uh, it is really fast and pretty easy. So just go to podcastawards.com and nominate us. That would be awesome. I voted already. Thank you. Yes, thank You're you very welcome. much. We appreciate your vote and your nomination. Uh, it's it's a long process, those podcast awards. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, well, and that's going to be it for our news this week. So let's get into our discussion about Kara Zorrell's refugee status. This topic has come up because in our podcast episode about the season four episode titled Crime and Punishment, we got an email from a listener named William who wrote, quote, in the opening, Kara states she's a refugee, which by definition, she isn't, unquote. So uh, since there were some questions about that on Twitter, there was kind of a conversation that was happening. Uh, We reached out to our uh, legal consultants here at Supergirl Radio who are also listeners of the podcast uh, and also, more importantly, who are also attorneys to help us understand this issue. So I really appreciate you ladies coming on to uh, talk to us about this. Um, And so just to uh, uh, lay it out about your your expertise so that we know uh, who we're talking to and that you do have some authority in this area, uh, could you just give us some uh, background about um, your practicing law and things that you've studied? Um, So I guess, Leslie, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, I've practiced law for 33 years now. I've practiced for the government, and I should say at this point, my opinions are my own, although I don't think there are any governments out there that have ever opined as to whether a fictional superhero is a (laughs) refugee or not. That's true. I've practiced in small and large law firms and as in-house counsel, 
but most of my career I've uh, spent uh, been I've spent my career writing briefs and arguing before appellate courts. So that's why my feedback, Rebecca, tends to be longer than most. That's totally fine. Uh, we may not be able to read everything on the podcast when they get long, but I do appreciate it and try to respond. So uh, I, I welcome the long emails. Yes. Uh, and in my practice, I have come across people who have had immigration issues, and it has caused them a lot of problems uh, uh, for them, whether they be a witness, a crime victim, or a criminal defendant in a case. And as we get into CARA's refugee status, uh, there are two statuses that she might qualify uh, for. And um, I have experience with both of those statuses, um, uh, given that I once was a judge in the family part. Um, and so I had some people, um, some children come before me that had some uh, refugee status uh, issues. Okay, so Susan, uh, if you want to get into your uh, your answer? Sure. Uh, I have been practicing law for over 25 years. And similar to Leslie, uh, I have dealt with all sorts of different issues in my practice. And I have been in large law firms as well as in-house uh, at different companies. Um, uh, I came across some immigration issues here and there. Uh, but I have spent a fair chunk uh, of my uh, practice in Washington, D.C., dealing with a variety of different issues um, that also come up in the context of trying to assess the refugee situation uh, because you end up with uh, um, uh, trying to figure out where to go, uh, uh, what definition applies, in, and not to jump ahead a little bit, but when it comes to uh, what it, who is and isn't a refugee, you can look at U.S. law, you can look at international law, you can look at different treaties and different conventions, uh, and you can look at common everyday uh, uh, definitions of the words and the way all of those things intersect um, in the uh, universe of refugees and immigration is not all that different than in any other uh, uh, area where you have uh, delegation to executive branch and international connections and things like that. And I've spent a lot of my legal career trying to discern how all of those pieces fit together in a variety of different contexts. And uh, it's particularly interesting here when you try to uh, apply them to a fictional character that ostensibly lives in one country, but also lives in a world that doesn't seem to be divided in the same way as our current world. <laughs> <laughs> there is no law of Earth, as far as I can tell. No. <laughs> or of the multiverse. That, uh, that I guess, we, if we talked about the multiverse, that might open up a whole other can of worms that I, that I don't know that we have time to get into. But yeah, it is. it does seem the more... You look into this kind of stuff, it does seem to have a lot of uh, different things going on, a lot of complications to it. Um, so I definitely uh, appreciate you bringing some of that uh, expertise and some of that knowledge into uh, this discussion. And so um, one of the things uh, I noticed when I was going back through um, some of some of uh, the content related to this discussion is that uh, there's an opening monologue that happens at the beginning of every Supergirl episode where she says, my name is Kara Zor-El. And recently, more recently, uh, starting in season three, she says, I'm a refugee on this planet. And uh, she didn't say that in season one and season two, but it has changed. My name is Kara Zor-El. I'm from Krypton. 
I'm a refugee on this planet. So, Leslie, I know that you had some thoughts on that. Uh, what, what did you find when you were going back through some things? I went through um, my Netflix feed and uh, looked for all of the openings to Supergirl. So I started in season one, the pilot. And in the pilot, Kara uh, says that Krypton was in serious peril. In the second episode of season one, she says Krypton was dying. In season two, episode three, Welcome to Earth, which is when uh, President Marsden uh, signed the uh, Alien Amnesty Act, um, Kara says when she was a child, uh, Krypton uh, was dying. And within the show, she references, references herself as a refugee to Monel. Maggie in the bar with Alex says that aliens have come to Earth either as immigrants or as refugees. Um, in uh, season uh, three, episode three, Far From the Tree, um, this is the first opening sequence that does not start on Krypton, but it starts on Earth. And uh, Kara references herself as a refugee. And uh, she says that she works with her adopted sister uh, for the DEO's DEO to protect my city from alien life and anyone else that needs to cause it harm. So it's really strange that she's protecting the city from alien life since she's alien, and so is John. So I don't understand that. Um, and then um, in season four, episode two, the fallout, uh, there's another reference to her being a refugee. And then she says that she works with my adopted sister, uh, who works for the DEO to protect this planet. I call my home from anyone that means to cause it harm. Those are some some really key distinctions, I think, um, in terms of the way she describes everything. And especially uh, when she talks about, uh, you, you mentioned how she uh, talks about Krypton being in peril versus it's dying. That's That could be two different stories there. You could, you could, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the, the different iterations of how Kara leaving Krypton uh, can 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 be because depending on the story, uh, what happens to Krypton can be a little bit different. And I'll I'll, I'll point it to, uh, point it to you, ladies, at that point to to talk about if if that changes anything in terms of the status um, because those those are a very specific and possibly different uh, scenarios that happen versus you know being in peril versus the planet being. Uh, uh, a planet dying. that is dying. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's really key that I think that you, and I really appreciate that you went back and, and looked at all those instances, uh, to find those specifics, um, because, uh, that could be important. So, uh, you brought up, uh, the, uh, term refugee and immigrant. Um, so, uh, Susan, I'm going to put it to you first. Um, is, is there a distinction between being a refugee and being an immigrant? Definitely. Uh, a refugee, uh, well, let's, let's actually reverse that. An immigrant is someone who is uh, um, uh, relocated from another country into uh, the current country for whatever reason, uh, any reason or no reason at all. Uh, a refugee has a far more specific meaning, uh, and at least for purposes of... Um, uh, uh, the what I'll call the generally accepted definition. Um, a refugee is not defined uh, based on where they're where, where they've come to, but their ability to go back to uh, their original country of origin. So uh, just to take the the definition out of the 
U.S. code, which is the uh, one that um, uh, defines what happens within U.S. law, a refugee is dot, 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 someone who is unable or unwilling to return to and is unable or unwilling to avail himself or herself of the protection of that country because of persecution or a well-founded fear of persecution on account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. So someone can be a refugee uh, based on the reason why they left their original country. They can also be an immigrant if they have relocated to uh, uh, a new country. Um, but you can be an immigrant having relocated without also being a refugee. Okay, so those are some really good distinctions. Um, so that is very helpful. And uh, Leslie, do you have any other thoughts in addition to that? Did did you find s- similar things uh, to, to what Susan was talking about? Yes, I agree. Um, ex- uh, the only other thing I would add is that uh, in terms of Kara being either an immigrant or a refugee, she has one hurdle, which which is it applies to any person. And a person presumably is a human and Kara is not human. And so the issue is, uh, would she be accorded the same rights as a person, a human person, as an alien? And that's why the uh, Alien Amnesty Act was critical. Yeah, so let's talk about the Alien Amnesty Act, which uh, was... uh, It was an executive order. I was going to say unconstitutional. (laughs) It's an an executive order, but even in the episode where it's first mentioned, Snapper Carr calls it legislation. Really? Yes. I was like, I can't believe this. Huh. See, I didn't even realize that when we when we had previously spoken about it on the podcast. I didn't know that either. It's when I went back and I, I was like, really? Snapper? So even from the beginning, they were very confused about what this uh, what this act was actually supposed to be. And uh, just for Supergirl Radio listeners who might be just joining us and chiming in on this conversation, Leslie and Susan were very important in our discussion about the Alien Amnesty Act because... <laughs> I had a certain small amount of knowledge about executive orders, and uh, we discussed it. Morgan and I discussed it, and we put out the call to, hey, if anybody knows anything about legal issues, chime in and let us know if this is correct or not, because we're not totally 100% sure. And Leslie and Susan did help us out to to understand executive orders and how they work and how they don't work, Supergirl. <laughs> Uh, Supergirl. It's been very helpful to kind of understand that about the Alien Amnesty Act. This would have been the perfect opportunity for Snapper to snap because he was right. It should have been legislation. See, yes. that that would have I would have I would have been over the moon about that. That he would have made a point and snapped about it. Uh, that would have been perfect. But of course, the, the show doesn't love us that much to have <laughs> Snapper Car snap. I wonder in the context of the show if the snapping is because. Kara several times when she gives Snapper Carr her article, she slaps it down on his desk. Mm, yeah. So I'm wondering if that's the snapping they were going for. Yeah, they they went a little more metaphorical with it than I would have, <laughs> would have liked. I would have liked some actual snapping. We wanted some actual snapping. Well, finger snapping. Just yes. one snap. That's we don't ask for much. Um, So uh, let's kind of revisit the Alien Amnesty Act, because I think that um, 
uh, to your point, Leslie, I think that is important to distinguish are aliens considered to be humans because the Alien Amnesty Act, and you'll have to help me with this, but as I understand it, gives those rights, to extends the, the rights that humans have to, or at least humans in the U.S. I don't know if it extended to a global reach. It doesn't even do that. Okay, so please, please explain it to me. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead and read it so that, because um, I know some people probably didn't get obsessed about this like we did uh, and didn't go back and actually read it from the screen cap of what they show in the episode because they actually have a shot of the Alien Amnesty Act in the text. Um, so if you didn't, uh, we're going we're to tell you what that act actually says. So Leslie, if you will do the honors. Yes, I went back and I took a screenshot of the uh, Alien Amnesty Act as it uh, was um, placed on uh, President Marsden's uh, podium there. And it says, whereas the president of the United States of America on this 24th day of October in the year 2016 did with the object to suppress the existing discrimination and acts of mutiny issue a proclamation offering, and this is in all caps, amnesty to all alien individuals of interplanetary origin to the end, therefore, that the authority of the government of the United States may be restored and that peace, order, and freedom may be established, I, Olivia Marsden, President of the United States, do proclaim and declare that I hereby grant complete amnesty with the restoration of all rights of property and protections as citizens of Earth to all aliens of interplanetary origin, and that every such alien shall henceforth faithfully support, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, and that they will in like manner, abide by and support all laws and proclamations which govern our great country and planet. The Secretary of State will establish rules and regulations for administering and recording the same amnesty oath so as to ensure its benefit to all aliens of interplanetary origin. In testimony whereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States of America to be affixed done at National City, 24th day of October in the year 2016. And then there's a line for the signature, the President of the United States. Okay, so uh, since there is a lot of legalese in that uh, Alien Amnesty Act... (laughs) Not good legally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like somebody trying to sound like a lawyer who doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I don't understand how anyone, given this assignment, to come up with a, a, a executive order would come up with this language. I looked up acts of mutiny. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? They're on a ship. <laughs> well, other than on a ship. It's maritime law, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> She's the captain now. <laughs> so break it down for us on kind of what if if there are anything is is there anything that sticks out to you in this Alien Amnesty Act that it's trying to convey or what it's actually trying to say in terms of the rights to aliens. It, it, I, it may be bad, bad language and law, but is there anything in there that we can help help us understand like what it's trying to do? Well, what it should have said is to uh, convey to aliens all of the rights of U.S. human citizens, not citizens of Earth. President Marsden cannot <laughs> confer yeah. on aliens uh, citizenship, Earth citizenship. 
I Although I, I was about to say, I have to interject. President Marsden can't confer on alien citizenship in the United States either, because that's reserved for Congress in the Constitution. Ah. Well, there's that. And, um, <laughs> so she can't do any of this, is basically what you're saying. So she's really flexing, is what I'm getting. <laughs> I know, but you have to comply, you have to comply with uh, this law, this proclamation, until someone declares it unconstitutional. Um, so you just can't say, you can't as an individual say, well, that's unconstitutional. I'm not going to comply. No, uh, a court has to declare it unconstitutional and make it invalid. Um, but what I have a problem with is just with the restoration of all rights of property. I don't understand that. I, <laughs> it should be citizenship, not property. I, I don't understand it. Um, I think it's poorly written. And it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I think what it's supposed to do is confer on aliens the right of U.S. citizens. And if you are a U.S. citizen, then you are a citizen of Earth. Just trying to think about how people become citizens of the U.S. I've, I've never had to do it myself. I'm a born natural c- citizen, so I've never had to go through this process. But I, from, from what I understand from watching an episode of Designing Woman one time, uh, there was a test you had to take. And a yes. whole process that you had to go through in order to become a citizen. So I guess this Alien Amnesty Act would uh, would make it so that you didn't have to do any of that? No, you would have to do that. Okay, okay. okay. So you would still have to go through the actual legal process to become a citizen. This is just granting them the rights to do that, I guess? Yes. I. What do you think, Susan? Uh, well, I, I think I'm, I'm struggling with the fact that it doesn't actually say anything. I think that if you, if, if you, if you were to, uh, if you were to be, to be looking at this in the way you should, what one needed was an act of Congress conveying citizenship on these aliens. And that could be done without them having to take a test. If that's what the legislation said. Um, my understanding is that you have, you know, the Constitution sets forth that Congress can establish the rules of naturalization. So if you're not a natural born citizen, Congress gets to decide what uh, criteria you have to meet to become a citizen. And they've passed legislation to articulate what those criteria are. And they've delegated to uh, the uh, the executive branch the the application of that and so uh, if the pr- there are a lot of different ways to have gone about it but if you really wanted to confer citizenship on aliens the easiest way to do it would be to have an act of Congress simply declaring them to be declaring any alien who is resident in the United States to be a citizen uh, and then they wouldn't have to take the test or you could alternatively, uh, uh, have an act that states that they're eligible for citizenship as any other immigrant who meets certain criteria, and then they would have to take the test and go through the rest of the process. And there's precedent for that because um, President Reagan, in November on November 6, 1986, signed the Immigration Reform and Control Act, and it established a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, laws with respect to um, proving that you're you have a legal stat, the legal right to work uh, in the United States. But one of the things it did do is that that it granted legal status to individuals residing in the U.S. without legal permission who met certain conditions. 
and it applied to individuals who had entered the country before January 1st, 1982. And ultimately, 2.7 million individuals were granted legal status under this law. And I actually had a friend that qualified, a, a, the mother of a friend who qualified for that particular amnesty. Yeah, and the key there is that that was uh, legislation passed by yes. Congress and signed, signed by President Reagan. President Reagan uh, or any president couldn't do that themselves. And the more recent example that illustrates that best is uh, the the um, uh, the order known as DACA, which is short for Deferred Action, because President Obama, when he uh, uh, took that action, didn't have the legal ability to either declare them citizens or to choose not to enforce the immigration laws with respect to them. He, the most discretion he had was to defer the action he was legally obligated to take under existing law with respect to deporting them. That's really interesting because I think on the show, I, can't, I still can't figure out if they were, in the end, treating it like it was a congressional act. Because yes, because they, they had were. because they had to get the votes. Ben Lockwood was all concerned about getting the votes. <laughs> so uh, that's that seems like a congressional act versus an executive uh, order from the executive branch. So uh, knowing that Congress is maybe supposed well, not maybe it sounds like it is supposed to be a congressional thing dealing with uh, naturalization and those kinds of immigration policies versus the executive branch. Uh, but it seemed like the show was kind of going back and forth about how they were trying to portray it. So um, so it's it's kind of it it helps to know some of those real world examples to kind of process this stuff, because um, uh, just even knowing that, like, if President Marsden, if it did come out in Earth 38's version of the Constitution, I guess, <laughs> because who know, who knows? Earth 38 might have a different version of the United States Constitution. I don't know. Uh, but it sounds like so and correct me if I'm wrong, because I could totally be. But it sounds like if if uh, people deemed uh, President Marsden's Alien Amnesty Act as un- unconstitutional, that would go to the Supreme Court. Is that correct? Yes. Well, it would start in the federal district court. OK. OK. All right. So it would it would go to the courts to uh, deem it unconstitutional. OK. Yeah. Well, it was started in the federal district court, then to the Court of Appeals and then. Um, it would go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, uh, there might, it might be an appeal as a right, meaning the Supreme Court has to take it or they could use your, use their discretion and not take it or to take it. Okay. All right. Um, so that, uh, is very helpful to kind of go through the Alien Amnesty Act and kind of try to, try to understand it as best we can, even though it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't make any sense because it's (laughs) clearly an executive order. But the show wants to treat it as if it's legislation so it can sort of slow it down so there could be this buildup for Lockwood. He could propose it and then he can go to Congress and then he can have a conversation with the senator. And then Congress does vote to repeal it. But then after President Baker is taken down, it's just magically reinstated by the vice president who becomes president after Baker. Right. It has to be an executive order, because I don't think they could have moved that fast. Yeah, it seems like, and and also correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, if the Alien Amnesty Act, 
was to be rescinded, it would have been done under President Baker and then uh, Vice President Plastino, I think, in homage to yes, the co- one, right. of, one of the co-creators of Supergirl. Uh, they they put. I hope we get to see a newly appointed uh, President <laughs> Plas- uh, Plastino. That would be really cool to see him. Uh, and I assume it's a he. I don't know if we know if it's a he or she. I, it could be uh, a she. Uh, but I guess President Plastino would have to then create a new executive order or would it just yes. okay okay yes. so it would have to it would have to re, like uh create a new version of the alien amnesty act not that it would be any more constitutional <laughs> it, it would still be bad law but they could do it i like to think that somebody figured out that executive order was actually not the right way to go about this and they just shifted midstream uh to the right way to go about it with out, uh, hoping the audience wouldn't remember that they started wrong. They they were they were not uh, assuming that Supergirl Radio and the Supergirl Radio legal consultants would be on top of this. They they <laughs> they thought they thought they could get this by us, but they were wrong. It took them two years, but they finally have somebody living under his desk. So you never know. See, so things can happen. Dreams can come true. <laughs> uh, so, so okay. Well, that gives us kind of a good overview about the Alien Amnesty Act and kind of where. Uh, naturalization and immigration laws are uh, as as faulty as they may be on Earth 38, uh, kind of where those things stand. So let's talk a little bit about um, Kara's situation specifically and how uh, whether or not her status as a refugee uh, could change or depend on what happens to Krypton, because I'm very curious about what you all think about this, because the typical explanation of what happens to Krypton is that it explodes because uh, there's something wrong with the environment of the planet. It's unstable. The core is unstable. And so uh, they can't really do anything to fix it. And so Krypton explodes. And that's why they have to leave. So um, so what do you all think about um, that version of events and what that does for Kara's refugee status? What what would uh, would she be a refugee under the, the idea that Krypton uh, planet the the planet of Krypton explodes because the the planet's unstable. Where where where, where would you put her in in status for that? So I guess uh, we'll start with Susan on this one. Uh, I think that oddly enough, uh, uh, it depends on where she lands um, when she arrives on Earth. Uh, uh, as I said before, the the generally accepted uh, definition of refugee requires her to have fled her planet because of persecution for her membership in a particular race, religion, nationality, uh, member of social group. So it's really personal to her. Uh, it doesn't uh, account for the idea that the planet might not exist uh, or why it might not exist. Um, and that is uh, in part, if you'll you'll pardon the history lesson, because the sort of fundamental current definition of refugee in both U.S. law and in the U.N. convention um, really came into existence post-World War II. Uh, and it, it's been slightly broadened, but it, it starts from the fundamental premise that individuals are being persecuted for uh, reasons of, of who they are or for political um, or social reasons, you know, personal to them. Um, interestingly, uh, if you sort of jump ahead to what are not generally accepted definitions but are out there in the ether, um, there is a, uh, an African uh, Unity Convention from 1969 and a 1984 uh, Cartagena Declaration on Refugees that um, are 
uh, emanate from what was going on in those countries in the more modern era, where they define refugee as any person who, uh, uh, in one instance, owing to external aggression, occupation, or events disturbing the public order, has to depart their place of habitual residence, or is fleeing because their lives, safety, or freedom have been threatened. So if she landed in Africa or South America, uh, then under their definitions, she would be a refugee, but it still wouldn't matter what happened with Krypton. That's interesting. That's not what I would have thought, but that's that's a that's a good distinction. You learn something new every day. Uh, in my case, mm-hmm. in particular, I definitely do. <laughs> and then the last piece, which I'll just uh, I'll just throw in because we we've talked about it, is there's there's sort of a newer term which people call climate refugee, which has no official legal definition whatsoever but is applying the, the sort of common English term to people who have to, uh, who are displaced by catastrophic weather disasters. And I think in that instance, that covers uh, um, the situation on Krypton perfectly. So they probably should have started there, even though it has no legal meaning whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so you could, you could maybe classify Carr as a climate refugee if you wanted to go that route. But uh, I, from what I understand from what you just said, you could also maybe not classify her as a refugee depending on where she landed. Yeah. And, and more importantly, you know, being a refugee uh, um, usually confers certain status and benefits on you. Um, for example, in U.S. law, um, uh, there are uh, different benefits you get as a refugee. You have uh, different, um, and, and, and Leslie may be more familiar with the details of this, but you have different opportunities to earn citizenship and legal residency. Um, there are, uh, uh, um, uh, there are assi- there's assistance available to you financially and otherwise. Um, under the UN Convention on Refugees, um, you know, UN countries have certain obligations with respect to uh, helping those refugees. The the other two conventions don't really comply, don't really uh, have carry many obligations with them, and therefore don't afford benefits. Um, they're more guidance and um, uh, statements of position. Mm. So, Leslie, do you have any thoughts uh, about that as in, in addition to what uh, Susan was talking about, just like the typical explosion of Krypton, that the planet was unstable and so it blew up? Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I, I guess you're saying, Susan, if she landed in Africa or South America, she could qualify as a um, catastrophic uh, climate refugee. But if she landed in the United States, she wouldn't satisfy the usual definition of uh, a refugee because she didn't flee persecution. Uh, a, a twist on that. Yeah, definitely. If she landed in the United States, she wouldn't uh, classify as a refugee because she didn't flee persecution. Um, uh, the Africa or South America is based on the definition of having to flee because of external aggression and fear okay. for her life. Um, climate refugee is a term of uh, is a term that people are using in the media and otherwise to describe people displaced by uh, catastrophic weather events. And I don't think it matters where she lands for that, but it also doesn't confer any benefits uh, or anything relating to refugee status on her by virtue of that being an accurate description. Oh, okay. The um, two things I would add to that um, in terms of Kara getting a citizenship, assuming that she uh, were to be considered a human 
and have the same rights as a human. Um, as um, when Cara was uh, younger and under the age of 21, she could um, obtain uh, or get the right to stay in the United States um, from family court um, pursuant to the special immigration juvenile status um, uh, program. And with respect to that program, the child must be under 21 years old and be physically present in the U.S., which Cara was. She must be unmarried, which she is. And the court, the family court, must declare the child to be dependent um, on the adoptive parents, which Cara was. And the court must declare that the child is unable to reunite with the parent in their home country or home planet due to abuse, neglect, or abandonment. The word abandonment is not defined, and it's up to the family court to make a determination in terms of whether the child has been abandoned. Do you think Cara would classify as being abandoned? Yes. Okay. Yes, and I cite to season one, it's called um, Taking, it's the one with the uh, Astra when Cara has the breakdown in front of her mother, where she says to her mother, you sent me away, you left me alone. Uh, yeah. uh, how could you do that? And she's, um, she's very, she's broken up about it. She's very, very upset. And I think that uh, an argument could be made by uh, her, uh, Cara's adoptive parents, the Danvers, that Allura and Zorel abandoned um, Cara when they put her in a ship and just aimed it toward uh, Earth that was uh, 200, uh, which was 2,000 light years away. Um, so I think that uh, an, uh, an argument could be made that she has been abandoned and therefore she would have the right of a special immigration juvenile status and she could stay um, based on that. It sounds like that could be a, a perspective thing in terms of what you argue for, because I think Alora and Zorel would say, no, we didn't abandon her. We were, we're trying to save her life. But uh, Kara's perspective is, you put me in a ship and you put me out there by myself. So it does sound like that the the argument could be made depending on the perspective of the person making it. I have a question for for Leslie, which is if you if you jump ahead, I think it was season two, but it might have been season three when uh, um, one of the first episodes where Superman appears, uh, Alex made the point that. Uh, Clark abandoned Kara yes. with the Danvers family. Yes. And so that could be another, uh, I'm curious if, if that, uh, uh, you know, sort of second thing in the chain would, would separately qualify her in your view, Leslie. Yes. I, I think that's a very good point. And that's definitely a factor that uh, I would argue uh, to the court. There's the other way you could get the status if you've been uh, abused and when we were talking initially about that comic book that I just read, uh, the DC Universe Rebirth Supergirl Reign of the Cyborg Superman, in that, in this comic, Zorel as a cyborg uh, gets Carr to come back to Argo City, and she's not happy with him, yeah, and yeah. so he put, he puts her in a box, that's sort of a, a power dampening box. And she has to stay there and watch uh, Allura, who's now a cyborg, torture Eliza. Yes. So I think that that's abuse. I would say so. That that does seem to qualify for that. Uh, Zorel is not the best 
in uh, in those in those issues, uh, turning turning all of the uh, dead Kryptonians into zombies, not his his best move. <laughs> not his best day. Not no, his, no. not not his best choices. Well, and that's a that's a really interesting point because the the fundamental problem, if we circle back to Supergirl, the television show, is that uh, more recently. Uh, Argo survived and Kara went back to it and being able to go back to your country of origin or your homeland uh, immediately disqualifies you from being a refugee since the crucial element to being a refugee in any of these definitions is an inability to return to where you came from. Yeah, I was curious about that because uh, I I know that there are uh, certain circumstances where People may not be able to go back because of war or persecution or something like that. Um, but Argo is definitely an example where she can go visit uh, her her home, kind of her home world, the the chunk that is still out there, and her family <laughs> and uh, and that and her people are still kind of existing on on that little uh, part of Krypton that exploded. So so there's that instance, and there's also uh, if we're just going to talk about <laughs> different scenarios, because every, every time I thought about the subject, I was like, well, what about if? And one of the things I thought about was the bottling of Krypton. That happens in several stories where uh, the bottle city of Kandor, Kandor uh, you know, gets uh, s- sunken down by Brainiac into a little a bottle, an actual bottle city. And so the the Kryptonians are very tiny in in the bottle city, um, but they're still living. They they still have their city. It's still functioning. They're <laughs> they have scientists down in there. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a whole city in the bottle city of Kandor. So. Uh, so I know this is a strange scenario, but if, let's say on the show, we had the bottle city of Kandor, which I assume exists in the Fortress of Solitude somewhere, we just haven't seen it yet, um, What would that change Kara's status in terms of uh, the fact that she could go into the bottle city of Kandor and interact with her, her, um, her uh, people in her Kryptonian culture? Well, I would argue that she doesn't have to be bottled. I, I don't think she has to be miniaturized. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I just think that that would be an extraordinary requirement. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hardship. Yes, yes. Although, the fact, the reason that Kandor is bottled is because Brainiac did it, and he, he destroyed Krypton by doing that. And so, uh, so she, she was escaping persecution by Brainiac. Yeah, and that's that's a good point because uh, Brainiac he is uh, such such a bad guy. He's always uh, seeming to th- threaten Krypton in several different iterations of the story and the origin, uh, like on Smallville. Um, Zod and Zarel use Brainiac to ignite Krypton's unstable core, which of course leads to the planet's destruction. Uh, Brainiac also invades and threatens Krypton in the Injustice series, and uh, so there's there's a lot of instances where Brainiac has uh, threatened them in some way. So I, I guess that puts Kara's uh, status in you know a, a a a different category depending on whether or not Brainiac or some other person like in Rebirth. There's a whole storyline now where uh, a character named Rogol Czar is claiming to be the cause of Krypton's destruction. So there are certain instances of the story of Krypton in which 
uh, someone is threatening them and persecuting them, and there is some sort of war that seems to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good distinction. I think that the United States or the United the uh, United Nations would confer on Kara some legitimate status because she is a friendly, powerful alien, and uh, Brainiac has designs on on Earth. And uh, Vogelzar, uh, he, he doesn't care who he harms in going after Kryptonians. And I think Earthlings wouldn't be uh, too happy with that. So um, to the extent that they can uh, keep Kara on Earthling's side, they would want to do that because she's friendly and powerful. Yeah. OK, so uh, I, I just want to put it out there. I don't want to put you all on the spot, but I might be putting you all on the spot. But uh, just since uh, since we talked about different iterations of the story and the origin of Krypton and how Supergirl sort of plays into everything. Um, so let's just talk about the Supergirl TV series specifically. So if you were to make a judgment in this case, would you call Kara a refugee or an immigrant? Do you think that the opening monologue uh, of the show is correct? What what, what would you argue in that case? Um, I guess, Susan, let's start with you. I would not call Kara a refugee if I were uh, using that term in uh, the technical legal sense. I would call her an immigrant. Okay. I agree. Okay. When Kara said that in season two to Manel, it just really sort of clanked off my ear. I'm like, refugee? Really? Um, I don't consider her a refugee. Now that I've done the research, she's just not a refugee. She, I, at times, I think that maybe Kara is using the term uh, generally, generically, that she's taking refuge on planet Earth because it is a safe place at the time when she left Krypton. And now that she can go back to Argo City, she's an immigrant. She's not a refugee. Yeah, I, w- I was wondering about that in terms of... Um... Uh, being able to go back and uh, the fact that she has moved and sort of settled in National City. She she calls Earth her home several times. Now, uh, so, now she does. Yeah. So uh, so, yeah, that's that's a good clarification. So I, I just wanted to get some uh, legal uh, expertise on that, because I, I think the um, the initial email that we got might have been correct from William. Um, so I, I guess you could probably, uh, you know, I guess if you wanted to uh, give us your argument for why you think that Car is a refugee, you know, send us an email, supergirlradio@gmail.com. But but uh, I appreciate uh, Leslie and Susan. I appreciate uh, y'all's um, uh, uh, expert opinions and, and legal uh, advice on this issue because it does help us clarify kind of what what the United States law says versus some of the other treaties. And I mean, it's a very complicated issue. There's a lot going on. I mean, Leslie, you mentioned the the age and the adoptive parents and all of that. I mean, it, it extends out pretty far in terms of discussing this issue. There's actually another visa that Cara could qualify for. Um, do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, let's. We're, yeah, we're here. Let's talk about it. OK, it's called a U visa. And a U visa is a special visa under federal law, which allows non-citizen victims of violent crimes to remain in the United States as lawful temporary residents um, if they assist in the prosecution of certain enumerated criminal offenses. Hmm. And Kara could qualify for a U visa when she was a child in the Midville episode when Sheriff Collins, Collins tries to run them down, run Kara and Alex down with his car, or 
um, mm. in the first season when Bartox attacks uh, Kara. So um, she could get a U visa. Kara, sometimes when I think about this, I wonder, you know, did Kara initially, how did, <laughs> this is probably going off the, the page a little bit, but setting up her, her status initially when she came to Earth and she was sort of, I guess, pretending to be a human. This was before, I I guess, was this pre-Amade or was this post-Amade? <laughs> I think now that we've remade uh, all of reality, that was the <laughs> post-Amade universe. So, so I don't know if like, because when we saw Midvale, and some of the flashbacks of Kara as a child, it doesn't seem like aliens were accepted and known to be uh, around a lot, uh, that there was a famous alien that was <laughs> in articles and going to galas and stuff. Well, it was, <laughs> it was in Vanity Fair. Yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was Superman. Oh, yeah, and, that's, that's yes. true. That's true. So, uh, so I wonder sometimes, like, uh, in terms of, uh, I guess this is kind of a, a terrible way to put this. I don't know the legal stat, uh, way to put this, but like Kara's papers, Kara's documentation, like, did she have to fake it? Of course they, yeah, she did because they did it for Monel. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Oh, that's so, right. So, yeah, so, so some of that I wonder, like, would that, you know, if Kara faked her, her identity and her citizenship? as an alien and then she tried to pass herself off as human would that affect her status like i've 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 gone down the rabbit hole in this trying to figure out would that put her in danger of her you know would her status get rejected would she uh be in trouble because she had faked all of that information um so there's there's a lot going on with this this topic she's two characters though she's Carla oh. danvers who they faked and gave her fake credentials and then there's cars or else less Supergirl, and she uh, would be able to register under the Alien Amnesty Act as a registered alien and get rights that way. Ah, oh, the Alien Amnesty Act. Always always coming back into play. Our good old friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm personally interested in whether the opening changes for next season. Um, as I'm sure Leslie can agree, when it comes to legal issues on television, even on shows that are focused on lawyers and law, you ha- they take a great deal of creative license in <laughs> just about every way you possibly can. And I sort of interpreted the change in the opening credits as... Uh, part of, uh, and with apologies, uh, Rebecca, for uh, bringing up something that uh, that uh, uh, will hackle you, but as part of the larger theme of the political point of the season that they were, uh, uh, you know, sort of trying to make through the storyline, and now that that they're presumably moving on to another theme or uh, focus for next season, whether they keep that in the opening credits is something that I'll be interested to see. Yeah, I'm curious about that myself, because by the end of season four, it seemed like everything was fine. But everything isn't fine. And I thought since the season was so topical, I wanted Carr or Supergirl to do something more than write an article. Um, I hoped that she would... um, uh, sort of promote the idea of the United Nations um, for uh, uh, alien refugees or come up with some special laws 
or uh, aliens or all the reparations for the aliens, the damage that aliens have caused and the damage that she has personally caused. That's actually come <laughs> up before because... Uh, it, How it, much it, does Cat Co. pay? <laughs> start socking some money away. Do, do we know if Cat Co. got uh, some money for that time that car uh, flew through the roof and uh, damaged the <laughs> elevator? Uh, these these are important uh, issues because, I mean, she flew through the top of the building. Well, she also damaged it in the uh, American Dreamer too. Yeah, in season four. Poor Catco. <laughs> it is. It has seen some troubled times. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think that that is really interesting because the show has previously introduced the idea of the Supergirl defense, where these criminals will be uh, sort of beaten up by Supergirl. So when they go to their trial or whatever their defense is, hey, Supergirl you know roughed me up this is you know this is not how we're supposed to handle things i guess i guess that's the argument i'm not i'm not a a lawyer so i don't know so uh correct me if i'm wrong but they have introduced that idea that supergirl does have some sort of responsibility in how she needs to act when she's you know fighting crime and saving the day because if she doesn't do it correctly criminals can use that to their benefit in order to get off uh uh get off from their charges or get lighter sentencing, something like that. Uh, so that is something that I think uh, could come back into play if they wanted to go there. And I I do think that uh, season five could keep some of this going if they wanted to. I don't know if they have some other topical issue that they want to get to. I think they ran out in season four. <laughs> They're like, we, we did it all. We hit a bingo. <laughs> they, 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 had, they checked off a lot of boxes in season four. So I don't know how much of this will carry over into season five, but it does seem like it's it's a bigger issue than just National City because even Fiona talked about how she left England to come to the United States because I guess she had been persecuted in England. So um, so it does seem to be a, a bigger, broader topic than just the, the U.S. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens uh, moving forward. But it does seem to be something they really wanted to, to hit in season four. But they hit it and they had... Every time we turned around, Ben Lockwood and the Children of Liberty were on screen, taking time away from other more interesting uh, aspects of season four. And so if he was so uh, prominent in season four and he's raising these issues and some of them were legitimate. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I wish they had done more to balance that side of things out, because I do think the the humans got kind of a, a raw deal a little bit that I think um, maybe that could have been something that. Uh, they could have brought up and been a little more nuanced about to to show more of the alien side because not all not uh, more of the human side because not all humans were children of liberty members some of them just uh were upset that they had to rebuild their house some of them were just like every may this happens every may <laughs> i mean maybe maybe they didn't hate aliens but they're really tired of having to file insurance claims no one will insure me anymore <laughs> so, so there is there is a valid point to that um so uh i i guess uh we can wrap up our discussion on this topic because i mean we could talk about this i think forever because it is such a very big broad topic that has a lot of complications into it in terms of the law. So I'm going to give uh, Leslie and Susan, if you have any last last thoughts that you want to uh, kind of put out there in terms of this uh, topic. Um, so Susan, let's start with you. Do you have any uh, last things that you want to share in terms of Cara and her, her status? Uh, I'll just say that uh, 
None of this diminishes my enjoyment of the show, but it's really fun to talk about. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I think it's it's fun to discuss the show and, and some of the, the storylines, but it is kind of neat to, to talk about what, what this would be like if this actually happened <laughs> and how would this actually work. So I appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast to talk about it. And uh, Leslie, do you have anything uh, that you want to leave the listeners with in terms of this uh, discussion? Um, this was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't think that there would be so much interesting things to talk about, but uh, there was, I mean, in terms of the opening sequence, in terms of the use of uh, the term refugee throughout the uh, the seasons of the show. And uh, thank you for having me. This was great fun. I'm always up for talking more Supergirl. Well, I'm glad we could feature some of our excellent listeners who contribute uh, greatly to Supergirl Radio because it's it's not just Morgan and me. It's everybody else who listens to the show and sends in their thoughts and uh, helps educate us about some of these <laughs> things because we don't know everything. And I have to say, I just appreciate the deep dive. Like, I know that Rebecca and I have gone down many a rabbit hole before <laughs> uh, on the podcast where we're like, how are we so deep in this like little niche subject that no one else that listens to us is probably cares about so it's nice to know first off it's nice to get the actual information from somebody who knows what they're talking about but it's also nice to know that other people like will watch the show and go wait what (laughs) (laughs) thank you for pausing and going huh with us (laughs) it does validate some of our concerns i will say that um so thank you for doing your your research and your homework and uh uh, contributing to the podcast and and helping us uh learn more about this topic you're very welcome um so if uh if anybody wants to share their thoughts on this topic they can do that by uh posting a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com if you'd like to leave us a voicemail you can do that by calling 678 718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can also listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You can listen to the uh, podcast episodes on Spotify, but we also have a musical playlist that's uh, made up of music featured on and inspired by the show, so you can check that out as well. We're a little, a literal Supergirl radio. Uh, we're also on Radio Public and Podchaser, and uh, we're listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, so if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And if you want to find links to all those things, you can just go to supergirlradio.com and uh, check out all the links on the right side of the page. And now we throw it over to Mark for the DC TV plug. Supergirl Radio is- part of the DCTV Podcast Network. So if you like Arrow, The Flash, still not as fast as Kara, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans, Batwoman, or classic DC TV shows, or the upcoming Swamp Thing and Stargirl shows, you can subscribe to the Mega Feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow at DCTV Podcasts on Twitter and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Derby Kid and Instagram at The Derby Kid. I also voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest, uh, which has been really funny in season two. So if you're interested in zany stories uh, by people uh, who uh, featuring people who are just out of control, stories are, are bonkers. Check out The Fakest. It's uh, Fakest with an I. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm also a contributor to Justice League Universe podcast where we talk about the DC uh, the DCEU films and uh, this is a very uh, 
timely, so this is only going to be for this weekend when the this episode is published. But if you're in the Atlanta area this weekend, I will be doing some panels at Atlanta Comic Con. I'll be doing some panels on Gotham on Saturday and Watchmen and Supergirl on Sunday. I've actually been uh, working on a Supergirl 60th uh, anniversary uh, presentation. So I'll be giving that on Sunday. If you want to learn more about the uh, history of Supergirl, uh, come by and hang out. Uh, I will also probably be publishing that as a Supergirl radio episode. So just in case you are not in the Atlanta area, you should still be able to listen to it. So uh, hopefully I can get through the hour and cover everything. It's a lot. There's a lot of Supergirl material. What chunk of it is about Nasty Luther? Uh, <laughs> I'm just putting I'm just putting a special request in now. <laughs> I, I did I did include a uh, a cover. Uh, that had uh, Nasty Luther in there. It has, it's a, I forget which issue it is, but it's like half of Supergirl's face and half, <laughs> half Nasty's face, I think. And it says suspicion on it. So it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, so I will probably mention Nasty Luther because uh, she was very prominent in some of those issues. I think she was around in the 70s. I think she was in the adventure comics of the 1970s. Uh, so yeah, I, and don't worry. I'm gonna put Director Bones in there. He's gonna oh, get. Yeah. He's gonna get a mention. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll mention him during uh, DC Rebirth. So I'm gonna try to cover everything from even the uh, pre-action comics number 252. I'll be uh, talking about some of the proto Supergirls that uh, I think we mentioned. Um, Superwoman at the very beginning of this discussion. Uh, uh, just fun fact: the first mention of Superwoman that I could find in the comics was f- from 1943, and it was a. a Lois Lane as Superwoman. Uh, so that is uh, the first female counterpart to Superman, only five years after Superman was created. So uh, just a little fun fact. Some of the fun facts you'll hear during that presentation, <laughs> and people can uh, check me on it and just make sure I'm correct. Uh, so I'll be doing that if you are in the Atlanta area this weekend. So you're covering all 60 years of Supergirl? All 60 years in one hour. I'm going to do it. Rebecca, how long is that Google document? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do, I don't have the Google document. I have a PowerPoint presentation I put together. And oh, wow. it's It's uh, quite Count a few slides. I, I, I don't know right off the top of my head how many <laughs> slides, but I will uh, try to publish it as a PDF and put it on our, our website. So you'll be able to look at it in all its glory. Uh, but it is uh, fairly extensive, I will say that. Well, I'm very sad that I'm not in the Atlanta area to go to Atlanta Comic Con because I would definitely be in the audience for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> taking notes uh, very furiously <laughs> on all the things I don't know. Oh, God. I would I would definitely have you on the panel just to talk about Comet. Yes, I was, I was about to say, or heckling from the audience. Comet! <laughs> so... <laughs> I would come up for the very special comment section. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, Instagram at, at MojoTastic. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. We, I think, are taking a little break until after Comic-Con so that we can talk about Comic-Con. Although Legends of Tomorrow won't be at Comic-Con. so. What? Not sure what we'll have to talk about, and I also won't be at Comic Con, so I guess it'll be more of a Q and A style where I'll just be like the host. Chat <laughs> and Amy, how was your experience? Uh, so I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna like really like watch some old game shows or something to get that like cadence right. Uh, so we're gonna have a lot less to talk about Comic Con wise than Supergirl Radio will, but um, you should keep an eye on our feed uh, for when that goes up later 
in uh, July. Well, that is very exciting. Uh, I'll be listening to it, even if you don't have anything to talk about. (laughs) I'm very excited about it. That's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio on our our topical topic of Kara's refugee status. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Lennon. And I guess from now on, we'll just refer to her as Kara Zorel, Citizen of Earth. (laughs) 